Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Feeding Curiosity. I'm your host, Eric Wenzel, as always. Feeding Curiosity, if you're not familiar, is all about the human experience. It is a podcast where we are aiming to always provide blueprints to live better. And the goal isn't to provide right answers, but it is to explore ideas widely so that we can think, question, and synthesize blueprints to live better. My guest today on the podcast is Dr. Justin Turnis. He is a doctor of physiotherapy, breath, and mindset coach, and also a human performance optimizer. His work is centered around three main pillars, mind, body, breathwork, and performance. He hosts men's groups, breath workshops, and leads athletic and executive teams in breath and meditation practices. This podcast was really fun for me because we really got to dive into some deeper aspects of breathwork, but also what it means to be a coach online. I think it's an interesting world we live in right now where there's just so much information and having people who are like Justin, who specialize in a niche of a discipline that are trying to make sense of just how many different practices there are. I'm sure for many of you, you've heard of at least a couple different versions of breath work categorically or meditation-like things that seem like breath work. I find it interesting how people take it upon themselves to make sense of all of that noise so that they can find the things that are most likely to provide a benefit in your life. I'm sure you can find doctors and other resources, but at the end of the day, we need more people out there just trying to provide more information because the scientists that are at the cutting edge of this stuff aren't the ones actually implementing it because the science, like the, the reports themselves are the only thing that lead the frontier, right? But then it takes people like Justin to actually go out and implement to see what actually works. And all that to say, I really enjoyed this conversation and hope there's more, and I hope you do too. If breathwork and mental health interests you, I highly recommend checking out Justin's website. And without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Justin Turnis. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Feeding Curiosity. Uh, today, I'm joined by Dr. Justin Turnis. I hope I got that right. Turnis, Turnis. Turnis. Yeah. Justin Turnis. Uh, first of all, thank you for coming on the show and, uh, just kind of give us a brief overview of who you are, you know, who you are and what do you do? Yeah. Thank you for having me, man. Um, really, uh, grateful to be on here and speak with you and your audience and your community. Um, and before we started recording, you're like, Hey man, you're a jack of all trades. Um, so that question of like, what do you do is fairly loaded, but, um, <laughs> quite a bit where I think I can extrapolate it down. Um, yeah, so I'm a doctor of physical therapy. Uh, that's my trade and profession. Um, I've been practicing in California. I'm based in San Diego, practicing for about six years now. And um, early in my physical therapy career, started studying and going down the path of pain science and uh, some mindfulness-based stress reduction techniques uh, by John Kabat-Zinn, which is essentially mindfulness and meditation of Western medical system. So I started getting interested in mindfulness and meditation, and at the same time, started doing Wim Hof breath work personally for my own stress and anxiety and ADHD and all of the above, and fell in love with the practice of Wim Hof um, and just started really deep diving into that and notice that through my breath, I could create deeper states of presence and meditation. And so from there, um, found an interest in speaking breath work and reading breath work. And, um, so fast forward to my practice now, uh, it's, I'm part-time physical therapist, part-time breath work facilitator. And um, interlinking those two is mindset and performance. So I'm a mindset performance coach and uh, very eh, interested in leadership and sports, athletics, how athletes treat their mind and body and just try to take that information to a uh, general population. So uh, mm -hmm. that's a general overview. Yeah, that's perfect. I think that gives us more than enough to unpack and go, go for it. Because I think, I mean, for me, I heard about work and, and the work of John Kabat-Zinn in, in like a performance uh, aspect. I'm not sure if you've heard of uh, 
Dr. Michael Gervais. He's a sport and performance psychologist. Um, he has his own podcast, Finding Mastery. I was got really deep into his work and the people he he knew about around like flow and 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 those kinds of aspects of his work. So the the this is all very familiar territory for me. For you, what was like the entry point into breathwork and like meditation or like mindfulness practice? Because I think a lot of people, it's gained a lot of traction in a couple of years, but I still think it has some connotations around it, like more spiritual. And I, some people don't like that. Like they'd rather just have the functional aspect of that. No, oh, absolutely. Love it. So one, Michael Gervais is a uh, online mentor of mine. <laughs> oh, nice. In the same way he is for you. I haven't worked personally or uh, officially with him in any capacity, but I follow him very deeply and really align with uh, how he views sports and performance mindset. Um, and so big fan of Michael Gervais. Actually on Twitter, I heard someone like ask, who are your top three influences in leadership? Um, and it was Michael Gervais, Jordan Peterson, and then Eric Musselman, who's the head coach of the Arkansas Razorback basketball team, University of Arkansas basketball team. He's, um, in my opinion, one of the top um, students of leadership and um, mind mindfulness in the game. Even though he doesn't really specifically speak about mindfulness, he's all about culture creation. So um, those three are highly influential for me. And yeah, back to John Kabat-Zinn. Um, I like to, well, first, when I began thinking back about who were my number one breath influences, I always went to like 2016 Wim Hof Method um, yep. podcast with Joe Rogan, Wim Hof podcast is like 2015, actually. So I'm almost seven years into practicing the Wim Hof Method, which is pretty crazy. So that has always been the point where I felt like that's where my breathwork journey started. But then I backed it up a little bit more and I was like, oh, I learned about John Kabat-Zinn and mindfulness-based stress reduction and breathing and slowing breath mm -hmm. or hearing Wim Hof. And then I'm like, oh, and when I was 16, I went to this uh, local university um, lecture on meditation where a Tibetan Buddhist monk did a 30-minute mindfulness practice and that was all about the breath oh that's so, cool <laughs> i'm like okay i've actually been around um mindfulness and breath and deeply interested in it for way longer than i even thought the, the spark and the intentionality of breath work really amplified in listening to wim hof and practicing daily breath practices it's interesting right because like we don't you don't really realize like where these ideas come from to a certain degree. You just kind of end up re resonating with something. And then all of a sudden you just keep going and you don't really stop for you. Like right now, like coming back up to today, what is like the most exciting part of the breathing practices for you? What benefits do you see? What would a beginner want to be able to see some sort of noticeable changes from doing breath work? Absolutely. And I'm going to give away everything because I'm an open book. <laughs> That's how <laughs> And like what I talk about now will evolve into something later. And for a while, I was like, let me just protect what I share with people because then I might want to package it. So, and I'm like, no, because I was like protecting my thoughts and intellectual property. But then I'm like, three months later, I'm like, I'm not even talking about that anymore. So I might as well just like let that come out and come through. So mm -hmm. there where I am right now, which is breath variability or breathwork variety, um, using different techniques together to influence or impact my nervous system in a way that I'm observing changes in my physiology and my psychology. So essentially practiced Wim Hof breathing for a long time, got into Kundalini breath work for mm -hmm. a little while, did some holotropic practices, um, worked with Brian McKenzie and his more power speed endurance type breath work practices. And I was like, okay, actually Brian McKenzie sparked me into this idea because he talks about principles. Um, methods are many principles are few. So there are a lot of methods out there, but why do they work? It's the principles of what works and why it is working. So if you focus on the principles, now you have a ton of methods that you can make yourself. So me yeah. personally, I take that block training that I've done over the years, and now I'm just kind of mixing and matching two part breath. <sighs> 
linking that into an inhale hold for maybe a minute and then rocking from an inhale hold into a breath of fire kundalini style, really focusing on my posture and my root chakra. And then blending that into maybe like a Wim Hof. And then coming into a relaxed state from there. So challenging my body and nervous system in a few different ways. It reminds me of is like how much little we know actually, like something so simple as breathing has so much complexity involved with it that you don't realize until you start going deep into this kind of thing and learning how to contract the different diaphragm muscles. And just if you watch someone breathe, they typically breathe from their shoulders and don't really have any good idea of like how to even squeeze properly in their, in their diaphragm. And it's interesting just to see you go through it. So if anyone who hasn't like, isn't watching the video for this, I highly recommend seeing what he just did. Um, and I'll try to also have videos links of the different things he labeled so that you'll see, see different uh, styles of that. So it, it doesn't just <laughs> sound like breathing noises for people. <laughs> Seeing is one thing, breathing is another, and then actually feeling and practicing it, it, it is another thing. And like you said, you were observing me and watching me breathe and I'm breathing in a certain way because I've practiced and self critiqued and felt and changed my body posture to uh, get into a space where I can handle all of those different techniques. And that's what I do. Yeah. And that's why I'm like, yeah, play around with all the different techniques. But what is extremely important to me, what was just floating in my mind before jumping on here is education's everything. Awareness is everything. You can breathe and do all the things and match what I just did. And and your body will likely have some sort of um, reaction to those breath techniques. But if you're doing them with the understanding of why they're working, how they're working, and so you're using this thinking mind mindset of, okay, this is something that's beneficial in this way. Now you're coupling mm -hmm. physical action with the psychology of what you're doing, which is your inner will to be better and do good things. And then now you're blending the two and all of a sudden that practice has an increased amount of potency uh, and benefit for your psychophysiology. And that's like, that's the, like the rate of, like a rate of learning thing. If we're going to turn into like an equation. Yeah. Yeah. Rate of learning. Exactly. Exactly. And I was, um, I saw a quote from Carl Jung, not too recently, but he was speaking about breath work and meditation in the 1920s, thirties. And he was mentioning that physical practices without the psychology or the mind involved really lack. So yeah. if one of the greatest psychologists, well, he's a psychologist, so of course he's going to credit the mind, but if one of the greatest psychologists of our time is talking about linking mind and body, and here we are almost a hundred years later talking about the same thing, there's probably some truth to it. And, and it goes far, goes back much further than Carl Jung in uh, human history. It's cool to just see how you're linking all these different things, not just from the doing aspect, but how do you change it so that like the mindset is involved with it. Um, and just the, like the coaching part of it for me, one of the things that kind of clicked for me is for you, is there a difference for like being in person or be like coaching someone who might just be on like a zoom call or anything like that? Because part of me to me, is like, if you're paying for a coach or someone to work through these things, I would prefer to have someone there kind of coaching me to like see what I can't see, right? Like standing in front of a mirror doing like a lift or something is it, it, it's fine. Like it gets you maybe 60% of the way there, but having a coach can get you to the 90th percentile much faster because they can look at you from different angles that you can't see or the, see how you compensate because of just bad training because you, that's what we do, right? We're adaptable as hell. <laughs> Absolutely. I would say this, you mentioned seeing multiple times through zoom i can see through zoom i can i can understand i'm i got a very keen eye and i can understand body movement so over covid i went from doing a lot of on in-person physical therapy obviously but i was also like already thinking about transitioning more to online telehealth physical therapy because i started practicing a form of physical therapy called biopsychosocial which is very pain science informative educational based and in getting those um, informational points um, and in getting the education about pain and also movement, um, I can help a 
patient without touching them. So there's, okay. a, there's this one physical therapist and um, physio in the UK named Adam Meekins, and he's a disruptor of traditional physical therapy because he's like, you don't need to do manual therapy. Like massage is effective, but also the exercise, um, the progressive loading is as or more effective than manual therapy or do both. But mm -hmm. the essential piece is training the body through movements and progressively loading it so the body can get stronger. And for that type of training, I don't need to touch anyone. So I'm like backing off of in-person stuff. One, because it broadens my audience and people I can work with online. Hey, cool. Where are you in the world? Great. You're in France. Got you. Like you're in South Africa. Cool. I'll work with you there. And it, it really has been an amazing expansion of my personal practice, being able to work online. And I still work with people in person. I still work with people in the San Diego area. Um, also a lot of people travel into San Diego for different things. And so I'll get messages like, Hey, I'm in town. What's up? And that's where I can really get hands-on involved in doing some breath assessment type things, movement. I would say, yes, preference is always in person, but availability of online is way more accessible and convenient and equally as effective in my mind. So yes, both. Yeah, that's cool. I, I mean, I, I have a feeling that, that you can do one or the other, it's more of like a preference between, like you say, location dependent or just like, what is the actual goals? Cause I could imagine that like the deeper you get into something, the less benefit you would get from being online and the more benefit you would get from one-on-one -on -one practice, being able to, to spot the things that are holding you up, just like any other really in-depth coaching practice, right? Like if you really want to dial in your swing, if you're a baseball player, then you need to get in front of a coach who's going to go through every point of that swing. And just from like, like most things, when it comes to like physical activity, or just moving the body well. Most of us don't do enough as it is already. And so taking someone from like the lower percentile to like the 80th percentile is, you can get a lot of gains from doing very little than, than taking someone who's already well-trained and moving them up a couple percentage points. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's really cool to just hear that because it's just the growing pains of technology, right? Well, growing pains in both ways, it's good and bad. <laughs> it's a... Uh, um... A lifelong practice, just tweaking and learning and adding new, um, you know, physical and mental, uh, training points. So I have great job security <laughs> for me. Cause it's like even doing, being able to do podcasts, right? Like we can talk to anyone around the world yep. just because we have a, a decent internet connection and a couple cameras and yep. sky's the limit. And then you can apply that in whatever way you feel like. And. Do you use any other like tools to um, monitor your patients or help them like learn things? Mentioned like the biopsychosocial aspect of this. Do you do anything that helps them? Like I'm wearing two trackers on my hand right now, Lupinora ring. I love wearables. And so for me, I love having the feedback and the ability to kind of gauge myself in whatever way that means. And so just kind of curious what you have uh, feedback wise to like keep your patients honest or even yourself honest. Yeah. No. Um... I do not use any trackers. <laughs> I don't. I'm not a data guy. I'm not a data guy. Um, I was looking at working maybe with a couple uh, basketball teams, high-level basketball, um, like college programs and NBA. And I was trying to like see, okay, how can I like get an in? Like what kind of skill set should I acquire so I could start to work with these high-level athletes? Again, basketball specific because for me, ball is life. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, and what kept popping up is like analytics, data analytics, like that's where sport and performance is right now is like, there's wearables, there's, um, heart rate variability, CO2 tolerance, all of these things popping up plus, um, outcome measures from actual shooting percentages. And what happens when a guy goes to the left, you can track when a guy goes to the left, are they more efficient than when a guy goes to the mm. right? There's so yeah. many nuances and it's like okay if you understand data analytics then you're you're in a good space so i was like all right cool i'm gonna i'm gonna start to look into some data so i can add that to my uh resume i couldn't add it to my resume like numbers and data turns me out so to answer your question i don't have any uh bands i don't track my sleep 
I'm very um, self-awareness focused. I'm like my practice, um, personal practice is like I'll do check-ins. Like, what am I feeling right now in my body? Where am I feeling? What am I feeling in my body? What am I feeling energetically? Okay. Where am I at? Gotcha. All right. I, I feel how I feel. Cause that is a reference point to my own reality. Or maybe I'm like in a calm space and everything's good. But then I don't feel. And so I'm like, so I use my own personal physical body awareness as a gauge, emotional body. So I'm, I'm not the right person to ask about data analytics. There's no right answer. I just wanted to get your state on it because I'm really data driven. Like I told you in, in the stuff before we started recording, I'm an engineer by training. Data for me is like where I live and understanding the baseline for me is don't under, don't trust how you feel and have a reference point that's impartial to be able to look at. That's why part of why you'd have a coach, right? Like, so you have a reference point as to where you are in the world, right? On that note, like, um, I go through ups and downs. I always trust how I feel because I don't lie to myself. So I'm feeling good. That's probably like, I'm feeling good. I'm not saying, oh, everything's great. And also I'm actually not feeling good. Or if I'm getting, yeah. <laughs> I'm not like, everything's great. So I, I do trust my feelings and I have a lot of acceptance of where I am. And I'm like, shit, okay, this is where I'm at. <sighs> right. Just tell it like it is <laughs> where I'm at. But, um. I will say like, I had like, um, a couple of months where I was like really good and on fire and feeling awesome. And then I, uh, fractured a eye bone playing basketball and I, I took an elbow. Yeah. It wasn't fun. And then, um, had to get surgery and then had some like relationship stuff and some work stuff. And then all of a sudden I went from feeling amazing to, whew, I just went through the ringer and yep. then I'll other side, like, what the hell? Okay, I know where I was and I want to get back there. So what was I doing at that time? And I just kind of reversed and revert back to like the daily practices that I was doing before I got hurt and got injured and went through everything. So um, at that moment, it would have been amazing to have all the data in front of me, like saying, this is what you were doing. This is the time, this is the flow, this is the thing. And yeah, I, just, <laughs> uh, I think it's a useful tool. I just don't use it. So maybe you can convince me to start getting into data a little bit more. Always go back to like, I try to remember what it was like to begin with or, or have these habits, trying something new. And how many people do you hear around New Year's who are like, well, I'm going to get healthy. This is the year I'm going to get clean or I'm going to go to the gym regularly. And then by February or March, they're already done. They're already out. They're back to whatever bad habit that they had beforehand. I always try to think of what are the easiest things you can do to set yourself up for success and or if you're really motivated, like that motivation window goes away after a couple of weeks or when your work starts getting hard or some unknown factor gets in the way, being able to look at yourself and be like, okay, this one day, if I keep up with this over years, one day doesn't change anything. Or like for me, my problem was like, if I'm, if I'm committed to something, giving myself an ability to back off and chill learning how to recover, I think was even harder for me than learning how to like <laughs> not go to the gym kind of thing, because it's like all of a sudden you get excited about it and plus all the happy chemicals, endorphins and dopamine that come with working out, you, you just crave that feeling of being like, okay, I'm just going to go check the hell out for 45 minutes to an hour. And I don't need to think about my day anymore. Um, but like having the, the data with, with wearables, like I got to use it as I was finishing college and some of the things that I got, I got to learn was like, you understand stuff about your body that you don't really notice until like, it's like trends over three to six months or year long periods where like, you'll see one of the newer metrics with all of the high performance is called HRV, heart rate variability. Yeah. So I'm not sure how much you're involved with that, but I'm sure you're, you know of it because of the breath work, because that's really closely related. Uh, and that's what I got really obsessed with. I loved the idea of being able to track HRV as a measurement of your autonomic nervous system and how stressed you are in your life. And so being able to do that and being able to gauge where I'm at so that I can say, okay, today my HRV is crap. I think I need to chill. And, and it's not just like chill and like do nothing and become a couch potato. It's yeah. more like focusing on your recovery. Maybe you should do an ice bath or maybe you should do sauna. Or maybe you should just go on a long walk because the other thing about these wearables, they don't track steps. They track 
what they track their own versions of it, but it's basically strain, which is cardiovascular load is like how much of during a, a 24 hour period is your heart rate elevated at your level of fitness threshold. So my strain isn't going to be the same as your strain based on how efficient your cardiovascular system is. Or if you'd compared me to a marathon runner, like they're going to have to do way more than the average person. But in any case, it's personalized to whoever's wearing it over long periods of time. And I think that's where the power comes from, these kinds of devices. Yeah. Not, not so much as like being like micromanaging the data. And like, of course, when you first get these devices over the first few months, you're going to be like, wow, look at all this. Like I slept great today and yeah. you'll get excited. <laughs> but to me, it's more of like a tool that the more visible it becomes and the more ingrained it is. And you just kind of check in on it every couple of days or every day. Like I just use it to track my workouts a lot of times or like to set myself goal, that kind it's, of stuff. No, no, no. I, I, under, I totally get it, man. Yeah. It's a total, like. I think it's a beneficial tool and um, I know that different people respond in different ways and like I know a handful of my clients would love if I had that and I just, I just don't, man, I don't. <laughs> it's personal preference at the end of the day, right? I think a lot of people too, because a lot of these wearable devices have been so ingrained with like the watch, like apparel stuff. Yeah. I think that kind of throws some people off because they think of it more of like an accessory, like kind of like a status symbol. Well, I was going to say, I was going to say like the other day I was with my family and we're like, someone was like, how, how, uh, how many hours are you on your phone? And mm -hmm. I was like, I don't know. And they're like, well, if your phone tracks it. And so we're like going through and like looking at everything. And it said like, um, like nine hours a day or something. I was like, that's. That's way more than I don't even know if that's what the hell is that. And like, then I look at the day and it's like one night I must have left YouTube on when I was listening to some like, like Ayurvedic, like, uh, you know, like, like white like noise. flow music. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. So there's data, but then there's skewed data. And then, oh, this phone is just trying to collect data as much as it's able and capable of collecting data. But really it's like, um, the data is infinite the extraction of the data and like articulating it to be meaningful is i think really um important and i feel like uh the data game is awesome because we can collect this information but what does it really mean in the long run i still don't think we know even you have yeah. the variability variability and you're like great okay my heart rate variability is like kind of like shot today but why what were you doing What's going on? Right. All those questions are introceptive. Those are self-awareness practices, right? So me, I'm like, I don't feel like going for a run this morning. Okay. So there's my data. I didn't get it from the phone, but I got it from self-awareness. And that's why I really like the self-awareness practices to each their own. I think they can go right. great together. But um, yeah, I think it's a fascinating thing. And it's like, I, I also have trouble with, research articles that talk about how much um like morning sunlight you should get and huberman is great but then also yep. like huberman talk about uh different protocols and i'm like well that's the best protocol because that's the protocol that was researched by the people who created the study that researched that protocol and have a little bit <laughs> and it's like you know so um i'm like I'm, I just, I'm so like resist, even in physical therapy school, I was just like, that's just research, 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 research. And I was like the disruptor in class. Well, I was like, well, technically that's just limited based on research information. So, um, <laughs> yeah. we, we can go on and on. You reminded me because what you were describing before, I was like, if you want to elaborate on, but Huberman talks about his non-sleep depressed protocol. He describes, uh, I forget what is it? Well, I forget what his practice that he likes, but he. He basically coined the term NSDR to kind of step away from all the spirituality aspects of it. And I, I think it's a, actually a really interesting idea. And I like the, the way he articulates it, but you know, everyone has their own way to skin the cat, right? <laughs> I mean, I love, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I could talk about NSDR a lot and I do, because I think a lot of the breathwork practices I do put you into a state of non-sleep deep rest. And that's like absorbable to a, a greater number of people than, yeah, let's enter into Shavasana, you know? Uh, right, exactly. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, get there, I'm like, is there really a best protocol? I don't know. I don't know. So individualized. Yeah. It really so. is. I think part of it too is like, you just have to experiment with what works for you rather than like just picking one thing. Like even you've already mentioned half a dozen people you've heard different protocols from and experiment with all of them regularly. 
Yeah, no, no, and that's that's I think the the beauty and where I'm at now is like I've been a student for a long time and signed up for a lot of programs and done everyone's thing. And then um, I heard someone recently say like um, I was I was talking to a guy about joining one of my online um, mind body breath programs where I teach breathing practices, mindfulness, um, all of the 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 work that I do in an online container, group community, connection practices, stuff, et cetera. And um, he was like, well, man, I can't really invest in someone else until I got, I, I got to invest in my own first. Cause he's doing programs and things too. And he's like, he's like, I'm loaded. I'm overloaded, man. I've been just absorbing so many uh, other people's concepts. He's like, I got to reel it back. And I was like, okay, that's actually a really good thought. You know? So like, I've been a student of so many great people and I'm a constant student of, uh, other individuals, but, um, I'm in this place right now where I'm like, okay, I got this information from him, this information from him. I like what he's doing over there, but how I personally practice that I tweak it a little bit. And, um, that having that mindset personally in the work that I do, I think creates this like vast landscape of me continuing and practicing in such a way that I have, I'm not competing with anyone. I'm not stepping on any toes and I'm doing really intentional and intuitive work. And that comes from Eric Musselman because he like the bat, he's a, the basketball coach I mentioned, the concept I learned from him where he's doing all these things to get recruits and catch their attention and recruiting everything in college basketball. And so he was um, taking photos with high top five-star recruits on campus and mimicking the, some famous NBA photos, like one where, uh, Dwayne Wade is doing like arms, like spread, like an airplane and LeBron's slamming behind him. He got some like young recruit in and they recreated that picture where Eric Musselman was in front and the kid who's on the recruiting visits doing the dunk behind him. And they were just doing these cool innovative, creative things. And then a couple months later, Texas, University of Texas is doing that with their recruits. And then, and then like UCLA is doing something along those same lines. And then I heard a reporter ask Eric Musselman, Hey, I noticed um, some other schools are doing like that picture thing. And he's like, that's fine. They can have it because we already did it. We were the innovators of it. That was our initial thinking. And now we're on to the next idea. So like they can have that old news, but we're doing some new innovative, creative things. And so I really loved hearing that concept. And that's kind of how I am with my teaching is like, Hey, what I was teaching a couple months ago, that's old for me. Now let me, Ooh, I just listened to a, a podcast from like 2018 with Jordan Peterson talking about some, um, like mindfulness stuff. And I'm like, okay, cool. Now that's a new influence on my current practice. So, uh, I'm yeah. all, just following the flow. I think you're bringing up a big point, like just within the modern context of, I guess it would be kind of like the information economy it would be the buzzword for it, but there is so much like cutting edge science and things out there that are just really terms and ideas, but there's not a lot of people that know how to contextualize it so that it's applicable to a broader audience. You could hear something on a podcast or read it in a book, but you, you don't know how it's like, well, how does that affect my life as an average person? And so a lot of people just get lost in the weeds and then they just throw it, it just gets lost to the sauce because, you know, the next big thing, the news cycle shows up or people got to pay bills, right? Like <laughs> at one of a billion reasons that things get forgotten and thrown to the wayside. Like it's interesting in the moment, but if there's no practicality to it, people just lose interest. Uh, and that's fair. And so someone like you, I think is, is really providing a service for people to make these things accessible at a broader level, because like you said, with, with the study, a study only goes so far, it can only be so, so powered or whatever, but it's like, once you actually apply it, any great plan doesn't happen until you actually start implementing it. And then you have to make adjust adjustments on the fly. <laughs> it's all about, it's all about practice. So another name I'll throw out John Wineland. Uh, are you familiar okay. with him? I have not heard of him before. He's a masculine, feminine embodiment coach. Um, he, he did, he's more in the, I would say the woo woo realm, but he does a lot of good practical breathwork practices and self-awareness practices. Uh, but he, I think speaks more into like the chakra system, expanding your heart chakra, okay. like opening up, but like 
I practice that and physiologically, I feel my posture widen and broaden. And I'm like, okay, his philosophy is activating my physiology. So what he's saying, although what he's saying might be a little bit out there, the way my body's responding is, oh, now I'm getting some new self-awareness, some new body awareness. Okay, now that influences my, my body practice. But what I like about him is he's like, He's very into yogic practice. Yoga, part of yoga is being in the pose, being in the space, being in the, the energy and the field and the practice. And so um, he, my involvement with his work around two years ago really sparked that, okay, I've got a lot of information, but it doesn't really mean much until I put it into action. And I had been putting stuff into action, but that like added this layer of like, intentionality to doing the work, being consistent, being in action with all of everything always, which is very like vague, but you know, I, I, on that note, um, always everything all, or what did I say? <laughs> always everything, regardless of what I said, it's like, I've shifted from the traditional physical therapy, uh, teachings of do your breathwork practices three times a day, three sets of 10, um, uh, three times a day, three sets of 10, three times a day, every day. Like that's the, the verbiage. It's like, that's mm -hmm. protocol. And, um, do your knee exercises for your injury, three sets of 10, three times a day. And I was ingrained in me and I was repeating that to my patients. And then I would get injured. I tore my knee up a little bit playing basketball again, so rough sport, but I uh, tore my ACL um, and I was like, Hey, I'm going to rehab. I got to rehab myself. And I'm probably the best person to lead the rehab process because I am physio. Um, but I found myself doing my exercises all day, every day. I was constantly connecting with my knee. I was constantly moving it. I was constantly tweaking it. So my, my personal rehab protocol was not three times, 10, three times a day. It was all day long throughout the day. And then I started like listening to John Wineland, which is like, just hold the pose and be the, be the pose, like be the person, be the broadening, be the, the grounded, be the, the yoga, you know? And I'm like, oh, that's kind of how I take care of my own body when I'm injured. Oh, that's how I take care of my breath work. I don't do breath work three times, 10, three times a day. Well, I do a, an intentional breath work practice at some point in the morning. And I do these little like more intentional practices, but I am connected with my breath work practice all day throughout the day. And that's where I've really seen a lot of change in my life. Oh, I've got a kettlebell right here in my living room, like on the ground, nice 35 pounder. I'm like, that thing's getting picked up throughout the day. Plus I have intentional like workout practices and programs, but also I'm making coffee. I'm holding that thing. I'm doing like a farmer's carry while making coffee because that's a part of the lifestyle that I'm living, which I'm choosing to live over, you know, and then you talk about active rest. It's like not going to couch potato, but what do I do? when I'm on an active rest day and I've got time and space, I go for like a walk or I do some exhale holds while walking off my hypercapnia, you know, and challenge my nervous system and my pulmonary system. So, uh, yep. that's, that's my flow right now. And, and it gets me hyped up, but, um, <laughs> it's changed my, my way of living quite a bit. And, um, it's really helped a lot of people I work with. So hopefully that alone is beneficial to the the ears of the listeners. I think it shows this level of intentionality you have to take this to, if you want to do change some aspect of your life, like not everyone's going to be this obsessed with breath work or whatever it is the thing, but yeah. like, if you want to get really good at something, you have to take it to that level of like, like you said, putting a kettlebell in the middle of your living room floor and then making it a point to you know pick it up. And it's funny you said that because like I have a kettlebell next to my computer desk when I'm at work that I get like in between calls or whatever, I'm just kind of like doing shoulder presses or something just randomly, like whatever I feel like doing in between things. And I'm like, I need to move or I'm going to just fidget myself to death. 
the other thing that I really like, I'm not sure if you've heard about it, but lately this has been kind of exploding across like the fitness landscape within the podcasting world, but there's a book called The Comfort Crisis. And in that book, they, the author talks about rucking. And I had a couple sandbags prior to this. I got, I did a couple of Tough Mudders years ago and I was like, I need to do, I need to just do more functional fitness stuff. And then all of a sudden rucking became this thing. I had like a five, 10 pound plate carrier thing. But then I decided to go deeper with rucking because over the summer I was training for like longer, not really ultra marathons, but I attempted a half marathon on my own. Like I didn't sign up for anything, but I just did it. And then afterwards, my knee got really mad at me for, for a little while because it was just like I had taken, I think I had almost doubled my mileage in one run. Uh, yeah, I think I went like seven miles to like 13.1. And I was like, yeah, no wonder my knee and, you know, joints didn't like that. But then afterwards, I kind of had to take a long break. And I was like, well, rucking seems like a good idea because the science behind that is so when you run, you put like eight times your body weight onto your knee. And then if you walk, you only do like three times your body weight onto your joints. So it's just a lot more, lot less likely you hurt yourself in a major way because also walking, you're just in a generally safer position because you're not stressing out your joints and you're just more stable across the board. And from just a general usability of like health standpoint, you just end up having way more beneficial in the military. They call this like ultra medium where you basically just fill out your form. So like, if you're not if you're not muscular, you end up putting on muscle. And if you're like overweight slightly, you'll end up like shedding a whole bunch of excess body fat because your body just kind of adapts to this kind of like low grade exertion to like find the optimal body shape for your frame. Yeah. So I, I'm just obsessed with that. I'm right. sure curious if you have any thoughts on it. For your frame, for that activity, because I, I rock climb, I surf, I play basketball, I run. I go through phases when I get into rock climbing, my body optimizes to rock climbing shape and form, which is way more shoulder and upper back muscle musculature. And then I'm not climbing for a little bit. I'm doing more running or more, uh, resistance training. And all of a sudden my body adapts to that. So I think like, regardless of the activity, if you engage in an activity in any way, it's going to cause a, an adaptability of your body, whether you're underweight to create muscle mass, to match that effort, or if you're overweight to downgrade, so you can make that practice easier in a way, but also adapt to it with strength. So rucking, yeah. I think again, is a, a technique methods are many principles are few, but the principles of rucking are probably applied in many ways. I do not have a ruck rucksack i don't have a ruck vest i don't ruck but i love trail running and if i had one i would totally throw it on and go for a run with it but again my body weight's plenty enough yeah eight <laughs> weight's great eight times my body weight plus the 20 how much weight do you do so I, I just walk with it i don't run at all anymore but uh, i do right now 45 pounds is what i've worked up to so I, it's about, it's about a third of my body weight roughly because I'm 160. Well, I mean, humans are hunters and gatherers and that's part of our, like, yep. Our being is hearing weight, carrying things. Walking is the most efficient exercise, probably the best for us overall. So it's like adding that isn't an unnatural thing, right? Yeah. If you're like saying like, oh yeah, the new, uh, rave and podcasting is like single leg hopping for miles and miles. I'm like, <laughs> that doesn't seem very natural, normal. <laughs> you're like, Hey, yeah. So on extra weight and moving while carrying extra weight, we've been doing that for thousands and thousands and thousands. Yeah. Like, good. Let's get ourselves back deeper into the ancient practices of healing. Uh, yeah. That's really where I come from with all this stuff. For me, it's about longevity. It's like, I know I'm not going to be some super athlete. So there's no point for me to try and pretend like I'm going to, you know, break some record in squats or bench press or whatever. Like the, the point for the vast majority of us is like, how do we slow down the, the typical problems or prevent the typical problems that happen to us as we age, you know, once we hit 40, 50, 60, you know, seven years old, how do you keep up with that natural degradation so that you don't hit those quote unquote negative benchmarks and, and can stay functional for longer. 
and that you know it's a very engineering approach just to it but i but i really think that that's yeah. a really important way to reframe like health do you know of um erwan lacour i haven't heard of him no that's like natural movement, working outside, like bringing back um, movement and nature, like, like rock skipping when you're on a creek or on a hike or single leg pistol squats, or there's a tree branch that you want to do a pull up on, but can you do like a pull up and then to a press up and then like some climbing stuff. So it's like taking the natural movements of, uh, uh, or movements that you can do in nature and adding that intentionality of movement. So anyway, the, uh, originator creator of that is Erwan Lacour. And now he's doing a lot of good breath work, like really good breath work program. Oh, that's interesting. He has um, what's called breath hold work where you hold at the top. It's like free, free dive training, but he's taken the free drive, free dive training protocols and then brought in this like spirituality space piece. So, uh, he's the man, check it out. Um, and, um, essentially it's like. I think I bring that up because I think based on what you're talking about, that would be a cool element. I think you would dig the movement, natural stuff. And yeah. Like, like mimics like animal flow, but uh, look quite Okay. But yeah. Same I'm always looking for new things to try. And I've gone through all those phases that you'd normally expect where you, you get super deep into supplements and bodybuilding and all that kind of stuff. And then it just gets to a point, at least for me, it's like, I just didn't want it to be into something where it's like chasing a look in a mirror. Like that should be the byproduct, not the end goal. <laughs> You've been mentioning different mindfulness practices or like ways to categorically be present. I think that is such a hard thing for people in the West to kind of conceptualize because there's just so many distractions or so many ways to distract yourself. Like boredom has become obsolete or we've just killed boredom because there's, you don't have any way to like get into your thoughts. Have you tried anything else like float tanks or separate sensory deprivation or just any other like tips or tricks for people to tune in with themselves since you've talked about it so much? Breath work and ice baths and walks, yeah. nature, uh, sauna, uh, float tanks are great. I just don't have any accessibility to it. Yeah, I know I, they're expensive, <laughs> but I have accessibility to ice tank cause I have an ice bath. I have a converted chest freezer. So nice. I've got that and that's a regular, regular practice of mine. Hasn't got how, any easier. How, how, do you, how long do you do typically when you jump in? So um, my temperature ranges from 32, like cold, cold to 42. Uh, so that really varies um, how much time I put myself yeah. in that space. Plus I live close to the ocean. Ocean currently is 68 degrees. But over the next couple winter months, it will drop down into like the low 60s, upper 50s. And wow. that a cold, cold exposure, even though it's warmer, it's colder because it's in the natural elements. The water's moving. You're yep. going to have to dip multiple times under waves. Um, I'm like, I'm the guy who's out there in the surf lineup and everyone's wearing wetsuits and I'm just trunking it. <laughs> crazy because it's not it's not warm nothing about it's warm and people are like in their wetsuits like covering their hands and like and i'm just like wim hop breathing and on the <laughs> i'm generating my own heat but i'm out there for like 30 minutes and those guys are out there for longer you know right so, yeah but i my goal is always 90 seconds okay along those lines um but i i get to 90 seconds Sometimes I like, I, I like to time myself in, uh, different ways. Um, I'm a music nerd. So a lot of times I'll put on a song that I like, that's about three minutes long, or there's like, maybe there's a song that I want to listen to in the moment while I'm in the ice bath and it's five minutes long. And I'm like, I'm not doing a five minute ice bath, but I'll like start my, I'll like move the song forward to like the halfway point where there's like two minutes and 30 seconds left in the song. And then I'm like in the ice bath breathe in and then as soon as the song ends then i'm like okay cool i'm out you know so uh yeah i i, I kind of add those little layers but at least 90 seconds because that, that's a cool idea i like i like the timer <laughs> the timer method like that because it's like if you stare at a timer and just look at it you're like man this 90 seconds is taking a really long time yeah <laughs> i'm like okay the music and also like some of the songs like 
start to end and then they pick up again and you're like, why the hell is the song still going? So it's like a fun psychological, like funky driver. So, um, yeah, that'd be That's uh, cool. how long I do it. Do you notice yourself like, because typically for me, it's like when I was really in the sauna and even just doing like long runs, having that like ability to do things that are physically, but also at the same time, mentally tough, right? If you're doing an endurance sport or like even basketball, right? Like you could be tired and you're like dead tired, but like you can push through that like physical feeling of it. And to me, it's like always been this thing is like, if you can do these hard things, the rest of your life, like someone being mad at you or someone like getting, cutting you off in traffic or, or whatever, those aspects of your life feel way less important and way less impactful than, than they typically are. And, and do you notice like stuff like that? Or like, if you're feeling overwhelmed, unfocused, stuff like that, like just gets easier for you? Yeah, I would say it gets easier. Uh, I heard Michael Gervais speaking about like, um, adaptability, it's different environments, things and, uh, um, he's speaking into the same concept about like, as we do these practices, we're more resilient to things around us. And many people talk about stress resiliency, not just Michael Gervais, but, um, I remember thinking like he tweeted something and I was like, but dude, sometimes the environment just roughs you up so much. And like, I think there's the inner psychology things that are like, you can do all the best practices you can get all the preparation but then you're in the you're in a certain environment that triggers you in a certain way and then all the work you've been done just like all the work you've done it's like melts away and you're like and you react the way that you would have reacted like six years ago before you were doing all these things and then you're like what the hell was that and like i that's where i really like <laughs> unconscious psychology practices and like learning about myself like with the therapist and going into that space because like Yes. Yes. To answer your question, yes. Should be <laughs> easier, but at the same time, I'm still human and I'm still going to react in certain ways, right. certain scenarios. And I can't bulletproof my whole body in such a way that I'm not able to like, I'm not going to feel every single like kink in my armor, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm vulnerable. That's why I like Jordan Peterson. Cause he's like, you're vulnerable. That happens if you haven't experienced heartbreak or deep pain, just wait, because that's what life is, is yeah. full of that. And so, um, yes, I am way more stress resilient and also I'm like a fucking mess at the same time. <laughs> Aren't we all though, right? That's, that's the story of being human, right? Like it's like, you, it's all about trying as hard as we can to shoulder as much as we can, but at the end of the day, <laughs> we're <laughs> and there was like a couple months where I was like fucked up for a little bit like yeah yes but I talked to my buddy a couple of days ago and he was just like dude you where you're at now is like exponentially like you've grown exponentially from where you were before you went through that stuff and he's like so all of that stuff you went through sucked but now you're like you've actually grown way more than I was expecting you to so it's like the life is full of that shit but it's how you respond and there's these yep. constant layers of growth so yes i think it's a, i think it's an awesome like way to cap that off because because it's easy to see all these practices that the way touted is like a silver bullet like if you just do this one thing you're gonna you'll know you'll become enlightened or <laughs> or whatever and then you realize that oh wait never mind that that's not really how it's gonna work in practice right and this, the point is, at least the way I look at it, is like each thing you learn or experience you go through is just like another tool in the toolbox that you can go to when you realize that you need to fall back onto something else. Because just being able to shoulder that burden and just, you know, grin and bear it doesn't work in the long term. Does not work in, in the long term. I don't know. Cool. So we're getting close to that hour and I wanted to just kind of cap it off with some of my favorite questions to kind of end every episode with. And so the first one is... Any, because you've mentioned a lot of different people and different books or people who are, who write books. I want to just ask like any books that you found really impactful that you, you either read yourself or have given as gifts. And it could also just expand the podcast since you've mentioned podcasts too. Yeah. Um, was with a friend, uh, earlier today. Um, and I was talking about a couple books and I was like, oh yeah, that's a good stack. I'll just like pull them up literally right nice. now. Nice. From the core, John Wineland. Um, that's who I was mentioning earlier, uh, talking about masculine, 
uh, the masculine paradigm and how we can shift as men, be better men. Tao of Physics by Fridjof Kopra. It's like a, a blend between Eastern mysticism and Western physics or subatomic physics, quantum physics, and just talks about spirituality exists in the, the, the particles of life, um, energy and essence of life. I'll just share those two, but uh, I have links to those. So many, yeah, so many books. I bet. I mean, you can see my bookshelf next to me, so I'm, I'm constantly reading, so I get it. Sweet. No problem. Um, and then the other one is, I really like talking about this one since the audience of this podcast, it, I started this when I was in college. And so the audience that I typically attract for this is people who are around their twenties or in college age, you know? And so do you have any advice to either someone who's just entering the real world, maybe they're in college or just about to in, leave college or someone who's just looking to pivot in their lives? Like, what would you say to them? Yeah, dude, I speak what comes to mind. I just said in my head, what popped up was like bunker down, man. But what the hell does that mean? And why did that pop up? And what does bunker down mean? So I think I can extrapolate that. Um, hunker down, bunker down. One of those two things, essentially get into yourself, right? The world is so chaotic. There is so much stuff going on outside of you that you can't control. So if you just bring it into yourself, you hunker down, do the work that you know that's positive for you, maybe block out the noise, block out the chaos, that's going to be beneficial to you in the long run. Often we see what's going on, we're getting swayed and pulled, but that's also information and informative for us to learn and, and interact. But I think where the younger generations are is there's this overstimulation of energy and things going on around. I like that book uh, from the core because it talks about just bringing it into your center. One of his um, phrases is hold the pose, hold the pose. Like for me, that means like I just get into myself. I go, I bring it, I bring all of my thinking into my body. I breathe into that like holding of my frame, <sighs> hold it. My body might want to do something or react to a certain thing or get panicky. If you're panicky, hold the pose. Practice building your capacity to not get into that panic nature. So I say, I said bunker down. No, hunker down, hunker down. Bring it into your body. Bring it into yourself. Breathe slow and do what you know is best for you, whatever that fucking is. That's cool. I, I think it's these questions are supposed to be open-ended and they're not supposed to have a right answer, especially when you're young and, and you're, you know, told to pick a degree or something like that. You really don't know much about who you are in your life. At least for me, it's like, I, I've done so much since I graduated or, or learned stuff. It's one of those things. What else I would say to do? Clean your fucking room. You're <laughs> saying 12 rules for why. There you go. Uh, what's the next one? Head of cats. Not a stray cat, whenever it's a, pursue what is meaningful, not what is expedient. There we are. <laughs> it's exactly what I was saying. Eight, yep. One, what you know is true. So another book. Yeah, there you go. I love oh, Peterson. I'm going to read I'm going to read this one today. <laughs> That's a real accessible one too. I think having people who are making sense of the, the chaos around us is, is a really important thing. We just hit that hour mark and I've really enjoyed this conversation. Do you have anything else? that, you know, we may have not brought up or in, any closing words for people or where can people find you on the internet? Yeah. Yeah. Hit me up. Um, I'm an open book. Like I said, I'm just, you know, I like the Huberman philosophy of just providing free information for the world, you know, just trying to put out good information. I'm just another source outlet. Um, so hit me up with questions. I'm happy to be a resource. I also work with individuals one-on-one -on -one, online in person, but a lot of online and it is as effective online as a person. Um, mind, body, breath work, physiotherapy, pain science, pain consulting. What the hell is pain? Why does my body hurt? Um, happy to share all of that. And um, my business, True Self Health. So it's uh, my website's trueself.health. So www.trueself.health. Um, and you can find me there. Um, so with that, thank you, man. I really appreciate it. Cool. 
this was a ton of fun. I'm glad we we just, you know, yeah. serendipitous of the internet. We somehow connected and we made it work. That's why that's how we connected. Because I saw what you're what you were doing. Um and you had one of my buddies on and uh, Oh really? Yeah, yeah. And so I was like, I like I like the way that looks. I like the way you like create stuff. I was like, cool, reach out. So serendipitous for sure. And um really excited to have uh started. just just out of curiosity for myself, what was the episode? Well, who was one of your buddies? Yeah, so he's an everyman facilitator, or he worked with. Okay. Me. Do you know Everyman? Um, I've I've heard of Everyman. I'm assuming it was Corey McCarthy was the the episode. Yep, I knew Corey. I haven't connected with him in a minute, but I saw it on Corey McCarthy, uh, or you had Corey on, and I was like, all right, that's my guy. Stuff. So, yeah, I I heard of Corey's story a long time ago, and I finally worked up the courage, found his email address, and made it happen because it was like I I'd heard his story from actually Peter Tia's podcast. And I was like, this guy is incredible. And I just, I couldn't help but not <laughs> continue to double click on the story kind of thing. And well, that's I'm, kind of been the whole, it. Yeah, cause that got me in here. So I really, yeah. Yeah. Leave this conversation. And uh, yeah, even you, man, reach out if you have any questions, thoughts. Absolutely. 